Amen. I want to thank, uh, too, uh, our pastor and sister Hannah for their confidence in me and, and the series that pastor has been teaching on uh, heaven to earth is a series about the tabernacle, and we're going to get into that here in just a minute. But I want to, I was hoping we could play a, a short video of just some of the worship service from Because of the Times. Uh, I don't know if you've ever uh, heard of this conference or known this conference that we sent our pastor to, and I thank the church for making it possible for them to go. But they, uh, they will be blessed beyond measure, I'm telling you. This is a conference for just ministers. Uh, it is a very top-notch conference. It is put on by a church that does nothing but the best. And I watched the service last night. It was live on YouTube, and it was also on Facebook. It was live. It was just the first service uh, that was actually um, on, on live. Uh, later, you probably will be able to watch most of these sermons and so forth. But... Uh, Powerful, powerful worship service, powerful teaching, preaching. It's, it's life-changing. It is, it is not only just preaching, but it's, there, there's a lot of teaching goes on. There's a lot of healing that happens at, because of the times. I've heard stories of many people who've been to this conference. I believe last night Brother Mangan said this is the 39th year of the conference. And uh, there's, there's a lot of prophetic words that are given to individuals at this conference. So it's, it's, a, it's a, a, just an awesome time for a pastor or a minister to be together. And just that fellowship that they have is powerful. And I thank you so much. I know they were looking so forward to this. I know Austin, Pastor Austin, had, he had been so excited because this is something he had watched all of his life growing up. And he just, just couldn't wait to get there. So it is definitely a ministry-impacting conference. And uh, I was just hoping we could have a YouTube to give you just a little glimpse of what it's like. It's just, it's unbelievable. It's like, to me, it's, it's, it'd be like being in heaven, <laughs> just to be there in that praise, environment of praise and worship and teaching. But, but tonight, we're going to continue right here, just as we have been on teaching on the tabernacle. And if you got your uh, Bibles, let's turn to Exodus 25. Verses 8 and 9. Sister, I, I just overwhelmed Sister Christy back there with scriptures tonight, but she, as always, I'm sure she would come to it. <laughs> uh, it says, and let them make me a sanctuary. This is God talking to Moses. This is, uh, he's talking to Moses here at the mount, at the Mount Sinai when they came out of Egypt. And he says, let them make me a sanctuary. This is God saying, let them, the people of Israel, let the people of Israel make me, God. He's saying, God, let, let them make me a sanctuary. Not them a sanctuary, but me. That I may dwell among them. According to all that I show thee after the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all the instruments thereof, even so shall ye make it. Even so shall you make it. You might say, why, why do we study the Old Testament? Why do we bother with going into the Old Testament? I thought that was a covenant that was long gone, and that was a, you know, a time for, for, for Israel. And it was. It was a time for Israel. And God, 
did, he did mighty things for Israel. And, and, but I think uh, the reason we really go back and look at it is we need to learn from it. The book of Proverbs says that wisdom is looking at failures and not getting into those failures yourself. That's basically what it's saying. And it, it says that if you can avoid problems and troubles, then you should, you should go to that rather than, you know, you, you've, I'm sure you've heard young people say, well, I just have to learn for myself. And I have to, maybe I have to, you know, take some hard licks. But wisdom says, no, you don't have to do that. So, so we can go back into the Old Testament and we can see things that Israel maybe did wrong. Or maybe at times we see things they did right. So, so that's, that's uh, a little bit of why, you know, we can go back. It's actually a history. The Old Testament is a history of how God dealt with man, with humans. It's how he dealt with them. It's also how God dwelt with man. We see through the Old Testament how God dwelt with man. And I'm going to go first. First place I want to go to tonight is in Genesis uh, 3 and 8. And I know some of these, a lot of these scriptures are not even in your notes. These are actually the notes that pastor used last time he taught this series and he was kind enough to give them to me and uh, said you can use these and, and I will but in, in Genesis 3 and 8 it says and they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden so we can see here this is, this is a place where God dwelt with man. I believe God has, you know, we, we, we know and, and I believe we all understand that God is omnipresent, right? He's everywhere. Everywhere, all at the same time. It's hard for us to comprehend that, but, but he is. That's why he could actually be God and man at the same time. Because he can do that because he's God. But he... He desires to dwell, and he desires to dwell intimately, I believe, with man. And that's what he did in the garden. He dwelt with, with Adam and Eve, I believe, every day. It says they heard him walking in the garden. And also, if we go on down to verse, uh, there in verses 23 through 24, it says, Therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the garden. The reason he did that, was because Adam and Eve had sinned. You see, as long as they had no sin, God could commune with them. He could be intimate with them. But once there was sin that came in, it put a wedge between them. It, it separated them. And, and man has had that problem ever since then. And really, this whole Bible is a story of how man can be redeemed from that sin and become back into a relationship or intimacy with his, with your creator. So it's, it's really, this whole Bible is a story about how we can, not just the Old Testament, but how you today can. So, so he drove them out of the presence of God, out of the, out of the Garden of Eden. He drove them out and said they could no longer have that close relationship. But then again, uh, we can go to the, the tabernacle plan. And when we go to 
to uh, Exodus. Let's go to Exodus 25 and 22. 25 and 22. You see, see, a sinful man cannot approach a holy God. See, God, the glory of God, really the glory of God, we see instances in the Old Testament, all through the Old Testament, of the glory of God. We've seen the glory of God spoke to Moses from a burning bush. It was a burning bush. It was a flame. He, we, we see how, how God... The glory of God was in the cloud of the pillar above the ark. We see, we read where on the mercy seat, the light shone. It was the glory of God that lit up the, the most holy place. And we'll get into that t- tonight just a little bit. Just, But anyhow, there is all these places where the glory of God, but the glory of God could not dwell where there was sin. And so God had to do something. And this was a plan I believe God had all along. And he had a plan how man could get back to having communion with him. Or how man could talk with God, actually. And so, so we see this in Exodus 25 and 22. It says, and there I will meet with thee. He's talking to Moses. And he's telling Moses that when you get this built and on this mercy seat, He says, when you sprinkle the blood, he says, and there I will meet with thee and I will commune with thee from above the mercy seat. From between the two cherubims, which are upon the ark of the testimony of all things, which I will give in commandment unto the children of Israel. So God, that's that's a place. And that's exactly what he's talking about here in this first verse that I gave you. Let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. And remember that word, um, among. He dwelt among Israel here in the Old Testament. He dwelt among them. So Jesus, so we see, we've seen how God dwelt in the garden. God dwelt on the mercy seat. And then we see in, in John 1 and 1, we can go to the New Testament. And here we see Jesus talking about Jesus. It says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And we can skip on down to, to verse 14. It says, and the word became, or the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Again, that God, he dwelt among us. This is talking about Jesus. The word, Jesus Jesus was the word and he was made flesh. Or God was the word and he was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory and the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So here we see Jesus was another way God dwelt with man. It was for just a short period of time. It was, what, 33? 30 years or 33 years, however old Jesus was when they crucified him. But he was on the earth that many years. Another place that we find in the Bible where God dwells is in 2 Corinthians 6 and 16. 2 Corinthians 6 and 16. 
In what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Now notice here it says, I will dwell in them. So his desire now is to dwell in man, not just amongst man. You see, even with the even when Jesus was on earth, he dwelt among man. But now God says, I am going to dwell in you. Jesus said, it must needs be that I go away, that I send back the comforter. That I send back the comforter is that Holy Ghost. It is God in you. So he desires to be in you. Another place we see, Jesus, or we see God dwelling is, is in Revelations 21 and verse 3. And this is John's vision that was given to him. Uh, an angel appeared unto him and said, uh, And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. He will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. And God himself shall be with them and be their God. This is speaking of a vision that John seen of heaven. God gave him this vision of heaven. So he could write it down so you and I can have just a small glimpse, a taste of what it might be like. But he says that he says here that God, that the tabernacle of God or the abode, that ta- the word tabernacle actually means abode or a dwelling place. It is a place, the, the place of God, the dwelling of God is with men. And will be and he will be with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. So these are the different places that we see in the Bible of where God dwells, some of the places. Uh, we, we mentioned the, the Garden of Eden. That was in time past. We, we men- I mentioned the Ark of the Covenant upon the mercy seat. That was in time past. We see where God dwelt as a man in the man Christ Jesus. That was also in time past. It says in in Corinthians there, it says that he will dwell in you. That is the present time. That's the time we we live in right now. And then again, uh, we see in heaven, in the future time, God will dwell with us there. And that will be forever and ever and ever. But sin put that wedge between man and God. The desire for man do what he wanted to do. That sin put that wedge in there. But God has that plan of redemption. And we see in the Old Testament, we see, you probably have heard of, if you've been around church very long, you've probably heard of types and shadows and patterns. And then we see these types and shadows and patterns throughout the Old Testament. Uh, some types that you might think of, uh, or I, I'll, I'll just mention would be, uh, like Joseph, Moses, Joshua. These, these men were really, if you study the, their life and what happened to them and all the things that they went through, they are a type of Jesus Christ. They are a type of what Jesus went through. They were rejected by their people. They're just, I mean, I could go on all night and, and talk about just those men. There's many more in the Bible. Those were ty- That is a type. A shadow... A shadow that we see a lot of shadow. Talk about shadows in the Old Testament. Um, 
and shadows, and an illustration of a shadow. I've I seen a, a YouTube, I believe it was, on, on a shadow and how, for instance, if you were walking down a street in the morning or on the sidewalk, you're in a big metropolis city with big skyscrapers, and coming down, you're coming up to a, a, another street, and up, up here at this street, the sun is shining down through here because the sun's coming from over here, and it's blocked. We're blocked by the, the buildings, but the sun is coming through. Anything between the sun and here causes a shadow. For instance, the cars that might be coming and trucks coming down the road, they would cast a shadow out in front of it. A person walking, you would, there, there's a person walking down the sidewalk, and, and you're over here. You can't see them, but you can see their shadow. And if you've seen man before, now Adam, he might not have known what, you know, what that shadow was because he maybe never seen a man. But, but today we know if, we, if someone's walking on, you can see that person and we see that shadow. Now once that person comes around the corner, we don't have to look at that shadow anymore. We no longer have to, to dwell on the shadow because now we can look at them and see them. And we know exactly who it is. We know exactly what it, what, what it was we were seeing coming. So that's, that's a shadow. We have patterns. It talks about patterns all over, especially in, in the uh, tabernacle plan. And uh, this past week, I had been up to my uh, sister's. She's living in the house that my mother-in-law lived in before she passed. And uh, she, we were bringing some stuff home. We were dividing up the stuff, and I knew my mom, my mother-in-law was a, she sewed all the time. She loved sewing. So long as she had the help, she would, she would be over there in that sewing room sewing. And, I, and my wife, she, she sewed, so she, she said she would like, you know, some of that material, some of the things mom had. So I, uh, when I brought them home, I, I started going through there because I knew it was going to be what I looked for, you know, if, if I looked through it good enough. And sure enough, this piece of material that was in that basket. I had three big baskets to look through. And this is a piece of material. And what it is, it actually is, is a piece of a garment that she was making. It was actually a bathrobe for a man. Probably, she was making probably for pops. They never got it finished. But she is making this, and she take, takes the material and you lay it out. And you lay this pattern. This this little thin paper right here is a pattern. It is a pattern that you put on the material, and you take pins, and you put pins through it. And then you take scissors, and you cut it out according to these lines. The different lines are for different sizes, whatever size they're making this. It tells on there what lines are to cut. And then once you're done with that, you take that pattern off, and you sew it together, and you've got a garment that you can, you can wear. You've got something useful. That's what a pattern is. A pattern is not really what you're after. It's just a means of getting to what you're after. So a pattern is just a, something to get you to where you're going. And that pattern that we see here in the tabernacle, and we're going to get into this now, but this pattern is is a way that the sinful man can dwell or commune 
with his holy God. And this was a pattern given by that holy God. It's a pattern. Sister Chrissy, if you could uh, put up the picture of, I think it's with the outer court. Yeah, even, yeah, any, either of them. Um, I found the laser the pastor was talking about, so I'm going to use this one. He's kind of using this one. But this, this here is the outside, and this, is, this out here is all called the outer court. This is all the outer court area. Um, if you were to take this off, this building here is the tabernacle itself. And the tabernacle, of course, he talked about the five pillars last week. But inside this tabernacle, um, sister, could you go to the next slide? I believe it's, yeah, this is, it's got, shows the, this room here is called the holy place. Okay? Now, the holy place, if you want to, I'm a person who likes, I'm kind of picture-minded. So I, I measured out up here about what the size would be of that room from the one curtain to the other. And it's about, about the area, it's actually, this area between these steps is about 32 feet. And the actual uh, holy place was about 30 feet. So about two foot shorter than this. But it's about the length of between here. And it was 15 feet wide, which is about exactly... From the edge of this first step to this great of this, this wall right here. So you're looking at an area about this size. And when you walked in to this tabernacle, you had, Pastor talked about these pillars last week. He talked about the table of showbread. He taught on the table of showbread. And now tonight, what we're going to talk about is, is this candlestick right here. But in that outer court, in the outer court, that is the place really where God dwells with man in, in one part of his, his makeup. See, God, or man is made up, and it talks about this several times in the New Testament, that man is made up of body, soul, and spirit. We all have a body, we all have a soul, we all have a spirit. When we die, it says that, that that soul goes back to God. The spirit is gone. The body is dead, decays. But that's the three things that we're made up of. And so God deals with those three things really here in the tabernacle. Out here in this outer court, he deals with the body. Everything out here, all these sacrifices and the washing, the purifying, the dying, that all has to do with the, the body. It has to do with our senses. It has to do with how we feel, you know, our, uh, uh, our touch, our taste. It has to do with all those senses. And then when we go into the tabernacle, when we go in here, this, this area deals with the soul. It deals with the intellect of man. It deals with uh, the way we think. It deals with our mind. It deals with... Uh, Anything that has to do with the soul, which, such as our will or our conscience. So everything that the priest did in here really was a type or a shadow or pattern dealing with those things of man. And then 
the last room near the Ark of the Covenant, where the Ark of the Covenant is, the holy place, the most holy place, that is where God deals with the spirit. He deals with the spirit of man. The spirit of man is, it's, it's really, it's the secret place of your, of your mind, the secret things of your mind. Only you and God go there. Only you and God know what's in there. Uh, the spirit, it sometimes comes out. Say, well, that that girl's got some spirit. Well, that guy, he's 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 fired up. You know, you think of that being the spirit, but anyhow, that is where God deals, and that's because God dwells there, and He speaks to man there. You see, out here in this all this other area, all of that, the outer court and this holy place, God doesn't really speak to man. It's in the most holy place where He speaks. So to get back to our lesson now, I'm going to have to hurry through this. I knew I was going to get sick of this. But uh, we're going to talk about that golden lampstand and the seven candlesticks. You often hear them referred to as the, the, the candlestick. Well, truthfully, it's not a candle because there's no wax involved at all in it. It's all, we'll get into that later. Um, Exodus 25, 31 through 37. It says, and thou shalt make a candlestick. And this is God giving this directly to Moses, speaking it directly to him. It says, thou shalt make a candlestick of pure gold, of beaten work shall the candlestick be. Make his shaft and his branches, his boughs, his bowls, his knobs, and his flowers, and shall be of the same. And six branches shall come out of the one side of it, and three branches. Uh, and six branches shall come out of the side of it. Three branches from one side, and three branches out of the other side. So that was uh, that was what God told uh, told Moses to do, how to make it. That's really the only uh, uh, only thing He give give Moses. Uh, the only other thing He gave him was. To make it out of one talent of gold. It was made out of pure gold. There was no, every, almost every other uh, instrument in the tabernacle plan was made out of shittim wood or some type of wood that was overlaid with gold. But the candlestick was pure gold. It was made out of one piece of gold was beaten into this uh, shape of a, of a candle, of this candlestick. Uh, you might know today of it as called a menorah. Or, but it has. We're talking about the six or the the seven, the six branches with this with the branch in the middle. I looked up. I said it is made out of one talent of gold. Uh, pastor put on here that that's about fifty pounds. I looked up on the internet to see what a talent weighs, and you get all kinds of things like this, pretty typical of the internet. I had anything from 50 pounds up to 102 pounds, you know, looking at different, what different people thought. And, then, and part of that reason is because uh, empires back then, empires had their own weight scale, and they would often use the same name, like a talent, and they would have their own weight for it. That's why, you know, one empire might say, well, a talent is 102 pounds. The other one might say, well, it's 50 pounds. 
But anyhow, we do know it was, it was 50 pounds. It doesn't really have a lot of significance. But other than that, he, God gave no instruction or details about, about it. And so, so that is really the only thing that we know is that it weighed 50 pounds or it weighed one pound of gold. Um, we have the oil. The oil was to be pure olive oil. Exodus 27, 20, and 21. Exodus 27, 20, and 21. This is where it talks about uh, Moses telling, okay, and thou shalt command the children of Israel that they bring pure olive oil, bring the pure olive oil beaten for the light to cause the lamp to burn always in the tabernacle of the congregation without the veil, which is before the testimony. And Aaron and his sons shall order it from even to morning before the Lord, and it shall be a statute forever and to their generations on, on the behalf of the children of Israel. So, so this oil, the children of Israel were to supply all these materials to build this whole tabernacle. And then he says, you to bring this oil, and, and it's to be used to light this tent, or to light these uh, lamps. Another thing that I'm going to add into here, because I see it so much in, in, in Moses talking about the, the lamp, or the, the golden lampstand, is is the lamps themselves, the lamps. You see, the lamps, Sister Grace, you go back to the menorah or the uh, candlestick. You see, the lamp is, the lamps are part of where these cups are here at the top, right here. These seven lamps, he says there were seven lamps. And the lamps were the area where the fire was. You can see the fire above the lamps. And that the lamps were, they were actually the thing that in that scripture that we just read, that is where the priests would come in twice a day. They would come in, it says they would come in in the morning, they would come in in the evening, and they would order them, or they would trim the wicks. They would, they would prepare uh, the lamp just like any other lamp had to be taken care of so that it didn't put off a smoke or a, so, a soot in that place. There was to be no other smoke in the, in, in the holy place other than what came off of what Pastor will talk about next week, is, which is the altar of incense. And, but from this, from this lamp, there was to be no smoke. It was to be pure. And so, so they would come in twice a day, and they would trim those wicks, and they would fill that lamp with oil. Now, it's believed that this lampstand was hollow, that everything here was hollow, and that you could pour in oil maybe here, and it would fill up the whole thing, and eventually they would all be full. So our description in the Bible doesn't really say that, but that's what's, what is commonly believed by the Jews that, that would have happened. Because, for one thing, the, the middle, it says that the middle lampstand the one, the shaft, should never go out. So they could never put that one out and then fill them all up 
They would always have to keep that from living. They would have to trim it as it is living. So in Exodus 25, 37, it says, And thou shalt make the seven lamps thereof, and thou shalt light the lamps thereof, that they may give light over against it. So there's seven lamps, and, and that they would give off this light. A lamp is used, uses that wick, or some sort of a conduit. It doesn't say that it was a wick, it's like we would think, like a cloth wick, or whatever they make them out of. But it, it, it would use something, there's some type of a conduit that brought the oil from the lampstand up to where the light was, up to where the, the fire that God provided. It, so there had to be some type of a conduit there to draw that oil out, that it could be lit and produce that flame. At, let's go to Acts chapter 2, verses 1 and 4. Now this is talking about today. The day, the age we live in. Acts 2, 1 and 4. This is, this is actually what we call the day of Pentecost. The day of Pentecost. And it says, and when the day of Pentecost was fully come, and they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven, such as a rushing mighty wind, and it fell, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit of God, as the Spirit gave them utterance. So here we see, we see in the New Testament here, a fulfillment of that candlestick, really. We see a fulfillment of what God did in that candlestick. You see, the oil, the oil was a representation of the Holy Ghost. And that representation of the Holy Ghost was in, in the candlestick or in the lampstand. It was not up yet. It was not burning. But on the day of Pentecost, and, and I think there's a reason John said, but he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire. That fire that he's talking about, I believe, is that tongue that, that man let go. It says, uh, it, I believe, you see most people who uh, draw pictures of what maybe happened, they, they put a flame of fire upon the tongue of the man. Because cause it says that they appeared as a flame of fire. But that, that Holy Ghost was the oil that was within the lampstand. It is the, God puts that Holy Ghost in you. You empty yourself out. And, and we come, when we do come to him, and we are brokenhearted, and we are, we are emptying ourselves of us and say, God, fill me up. Fill me up with your oil. Fill me up with your holy oil, your anointing oil. Fill me up with your Holy Spirit, your, your spirit. And then we, we do our part, just as, just as the priests did when they went in and trimmed them, them lamps. We do our part, and we let go of our tongue. We, let, we do our part, and we speak. We do our part, and it gives off. What does it give off? It gives off a fire. It gives off something that you can see, evidence. Evidence of what is really coming out. It is giving that evidence of it. 
so, so we have seen what this lamps do. And of course, I talked about the fire and the fire that came from off of the brazen altar. That fire was originally was given by God on the altar. It was taken from the altar and it was taken in and it was used to light the lampstand. It was used to light the, the incense on the, the altar of incense. But that is the fire. And that flame was to never go out, like I said, on that center shaft. So why do we talk about all this? It's because we can look at the symbolisms of, of what or the types or the patterns. That lampstand signifies the supernatural thing God does in you and I. Unlike the, the light that was in the, out, the, inner, or the outer court, the, the light that is inside the holy place, was a, it was a, a combination, I'm going to say it's a combination of what man would do and God working together. It took both. It took, it took man doing his part, keeping the oil filled, keeping the oil to where it was supposed to be so that it could come out and burn, and keeping the lamps trimmed. I think the story in the, in the New Testament of the, the ten virgins and how five were foolish and five were wise. The five wise had oil in their lamps. The five foolish had no oil. It's because they were asleep. They were lazy. The five wise, they had oil, and they could burn their lamps because they had oil. So it's our job to keep and make sure that the oil is always there. Make sure the Holy Ghost is alive in us every day, every day. At least twice a day we should be praying uh, before we go to bed, maybe when we wake up, whenever. But we should always be about making sure that we are right, that we have God's Spirit. center shaft of that candlestick, the center shaft represented Jesus. The center shaft represented Jesus. And there's a scriptures here for this, uh, John 8 and 12, and John 15 and 5, says, Then Jesus, Jesus spake again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Let's also go to John 15 and 5. I believe this is where he talks about him. He says, I am the vine. I am that center shaft. And ye are the branches. The church. You are the church. This building is not the church. You are the church. So you are the branches that give off that light. That give off uh, that evidence of God. You are the light. Okay, again, we said, we talked about there is no measurements given. It was, that, that, I think that is a symbol or a, a type that there is no limit on the spirit of God. There's no limit on what God can do or what his spirit does for us. You can't measure it. We need the Holy Ghost in order to understand the things of God. First John, our First Corinthians. I'm sorry, First Corinthians two fourteen. It 
says, But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, and neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. You ever read something in, in, in the Scripture and you, that's where you pray. God, give, let the Holy Ghost in me, give me an, an, an interpretation of what this means. I, I often use different uh, versions or versions, NLT, NIV, I use a, try to get understanding, you know, but I want to be careful not to let man's opinion get in there. We want to use the, the, the scripture. Uh, really, the King James, you know, we always go back to the King James Bible, but the King James is not, the Bible is written in Hebrew, and it's written in Greek, you know, it's, it's not, but, but we want to uh, understand it. So, here it says the natural man doesn't understand it always. A lot of the things that the church does, the world does not understand it. And it's because it says they know they it says uh, it is foolishness unto them, neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. It's, it takes the spirit of God. It takes it takes uh, the spirit, the Holy Spirit to help you understand those things. Can you go back to the cutout? Yeah. It, it, takes, it takes not only just the word here on this, the bread, the bread representing the word of God. We can read the word. We can memorize it. We can, I can, uh, I know a guy who, who memorized the whole Bible. He actually just passed away this last year, Johnny James. But it's amazing. But it would do him no good if he didn't understand it. So it takes, it takes us getting into this word and to know his word, but it also takes us being full of the spirit, full of God's spirit, because that is what will give you understanding of this. Because truthfully, Jesus said, it says in uh, John there, verse John, or John 1, 1, it says, you know, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and the word became flesh, the word became flesh in Jesus. Jesus, we know, is God. So this word really is God, but so is this. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit is, is God. So it takes both of them, and you can't have just one. I, I, I've recently uh, talked to someone who thinks, you don't have to even read this anymore. I couldn't believe it. They think, well, now I'm led by the Spirit. The Spirit leads me in all things. I'm going to tell you. The Spirit will never tell you something that's contrary to the Word. Never tell you something that doesn't line up with this. They work together hand in hand. He, Jesus said, he that will worship me will worship me in spirit and truth. That's why we need both. And, and something about this, something about this room here, the priest would go in there every day. All the time, they would go in here and they would, they would do their, their duty. Every day, they would take part in the Word and in the Spirit. Every day. And then next week, we'll talk about that. But every day, those things were to take place. Never let them go out. Never let them go out. We look at the, there's seven branches there. The seven, six branches in the stem. So there's, that's, that has always been known as God's perfect number. So 
because the Hebrew word shabbat carries the meaning of fullness or satisfaction, completion. So we have the pure olive oil, which is a representation or a symbol of the Spirit of God. We've been talking about that. 1 Samuel 16, 13 says, And Samuel took the horn of oil. This is in the Old Testament. He says he took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren. Talking about David, I believe, here. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. See, the Spirit of God was, was a representation. The oil was a representation there of, of God's Spirit. And the same, same here in the, in the tabernacle. Same thing. Isaiah 10 and, and 27 says, And the yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing. That oil, that pure olive oil, the anointing, you know, not necessarily the oil, but the, the symbolism it has, that the Spirit of God is what will break the bonds that hold you. It will break addictions. It will break things that you can't get over. It takes the Holy Ghost. Luke 4, 18 says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach. It's that anointing of the Holy Ghost. Acts 2, again, 1 and 4 says, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the spirit gave them utterance. It was that oil in them. That oil, they, they, they emptied themselves out that God might fill them up with that spiritual oil. That symbolism of the spiritual oil. Remember, this was all a pattern of something to come. And I'm telling you, it's here. It's here. The lamps. The wick. He talked about all that they do. And how, how they... How the day of Pentecost and how that wick was lit. How the, how the fire from God came down and it, it lit them up. And they, it says they, uh, verse uh, 11, chapter 2, verse 11 of Acts, it says, They prophesied the wonderful works of God. God gave them the oil, or the Holy Ghost, another tongue. God gave them the fire, the speaking in tongues. But the disciples, they were called disciples, those who were in the upper room. They gave their hearts. And they let go of their tongues. They let go of everything. If you've not done that, I plead to you that you do. You allow God to, to take on. You know, your heart might be hard. You may have a broken heart that you just can't get over. You lost someone. You lost something. But God can, he can cleanse that heart. He can cleanse your mind. And if we will let go, just let go and allow God to speak to us. You see, that speaking in tongues shouldn't be a scary thing. A lot of people are, they're like, oh, that's, no, we shouldn't deal with that. Well, I'm going to say that's not what the Bible says. The Bible, the, in, in, in Corinthians, the Apostle Paul, he talks about the tongue and talk, speaking in tongues. And he gives actually a rebuke to the church because uh, 
in the church service, uh, there would be people standing up all the time, and they'd be just you know, doing tongues, and there would be no interpretation, and it just was going on and on, and no, no teaching could go forward. Well, the Bible says, or the Apostle Paul says in the Bible, that tongues, when we pray in tongues, we are praying to the Spirit. Our spirit is praying. I'm going to tell you, you don't always understand it. You very seldom understand when you're speaking in tongues and praying. And I believe we need to pray. When we, we do this prayer through the tabernacle, we should pray in tongues when we come to that candlestick. Because that candlestick is that fire. It is that Holy Ghost. And we should speak in tongues. We should talk to him in an unknown tongue. We might not know what we're saying, but our spirit does. Our spirit does. Our spirit knows. In Acts 2, verse 33, it says, And having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he has shed forth this, which ye now see and hear. He's talking about what, what they've seen, what, what the people around them seen. They seen these people, they say, it says they, they looked like they were drunk. joke of the day, these people are drunk, and it's this morning. You know, they weren't, they weren't drunk on what they thought. They, they were drunk. I believe they were intoxicated. They were intoxicated with the Spirit of God. Uh, Brother Mangan, he, he, he told this when he's teaching this series. He, he says, uh, we should be a, a fan, a fanatic. You see, you think of a football fan, and you think of how excited they get, and how they, you know, they, you call them. I, I'm, a, I'm a maybe a Colts fan, like Sister Tara. She's a Colts fan, but and she can get excited when they score a touchdown, and it, you know, you could if you could talk to someone who's been uh, in the bar, and, and and when they get intoxicated, you know, they they'll they'll talk and tell you everything. They'll tell you everything. Everything that's on their mind. And, and Brother Mangan said, you know, that's how we should be. We should be. We should be so intoxicated with the Spirit of God that we're not afraid to tell every man and every woman. We should be so intoxicated with it that we just let it all out and let everybody know about everything. There's nothing to be hid in this. There's nothing secret for just you and me. It's for everybody. So don't be afraid to just let it go. Tell the world. So the light, the light is the eternal flame shed. It is this eternal flame shed, sheds light on the word. And we talked about how the light of the, the light of the candlestick gives light to the word of God. It says in our notes here, it says the brazen altar fire was for for destruction. Things on that that fire were cleansed by fire. They were destroyed by fire. The lampstand fire was for instruction. So everything there in the outer court was for death. It was for putting things down. But everything inside was for lifting up. It was for lifting up 
instructions. We are to be the light to the world. We're going to talk about the light. And I think the number one thing that we should understand from that lampstand is that, it, that we now are that lampstand. And we are to be the light of the world. We, we read in the New Testament of, all, of how Jesus often said, I am the light of the world. And he is the light of the world. When he was here, he was the light of the world. But we, now it says, ye shall be the light of the world. You, me, the church, not this building, you and me, every day, we need to be the light. We should be so intoxicated, as I spoke before, so intoxicated that everybody that sees you should say, what is it about that guy? What is it about that, that girl? I want, I want to find out because I want to be like that. It should be something that is contagious. So this whole series is really about praying through that tabernacle. The pastors talked to us about praying at the altar of sacrifice. He talked to us about praying at the labor. He talked to us about praying at the pillars as we walked in. He talked to us about praying at, at the table of showbread. And I, this is a beautiful example. We got a table here. And so right here. What are we going to pray in our prayer time about the lampstand? I think we should pray to be spirit-led. Pray, God, let the supernatural work through me. Let the supernatural have its way. Let people see supernatural things in my life. We should pray to have a burning desire to reach the lost. I think it's important that we have that desire, not that we just do it conveniently, but that we have a burning desire every day to reach the lost. Jeremiah 20 and verse 9 said, his word was in my heart as a burning fire shut up in my bones. I think this, that uh, saving souls, saving those who are lost should be a burning desire in your bones. It should be a part of our makeup. We should pray that we would be a light that is seen by others. Examples to those around us, examples into this world. We should pray that others would see God in every step that we take. We should pray that the supernatural miracles would be done through us for the glory of God. Not for our glory, but for the glory of God. Church. It's not just pastors who are doing miracles. It's not just Brother Stokely or Brother Mel. You've got the Spirit of God. You have the Holy Ghost. It's in, it's within you. It's within you. And remember, always remember, for the glory of God. I think we should pray in tongues every day. Keep that fire sharp. Trim those lamps every day. Make sure that they are putting off a pure light. Check our what we're saying. Check our speech. Check our minds. Check, check everything about us, God. I think we should daily fill our vessels with oil, with that Holy Ghost. You see, all Christians really have a lamp. All Christians 
Y'all have a lamp, but is their lamp burning? Are they allowing that lamp to burn? Is it full of oil, or is it just an empty shell? Is it empty words? Is it real? Is it true? So our lamps, that's an important thing, the most important thing is our lamp must be full. It must be full of the Holy Ghost. So full, we're like a fanatic. much appreciate this series. I, I've always loved the tabernacle teaching of it. I remember as a, as a young teenager, I guess it was, I guess it was my, I was a baby, even, I was married by then, but we had a, a gentleman that came through our church, uh, was a, like a missionary, he was, he was from, I guess, Israel, United States, but he, he traveled around with uh, the tabernacle. He had all, he had this great big trailer and this big truck that was full. And he had all these instruments that he had made. He, he took years, he said, and he made all these instruments and he taught us. And there's so much in the tabernacle plan. If we just would understand the symbolism of what it means, because it means something for you today. It has to do with our plan, the plan for us to get back to God. You see, we can't just trounce right into that most holy place. We can't just walk right in. It says, boldly, we may enter in now. But if we want God to speak to us and we want him to really commune with us, we've got to be a holy people. And there's ways that we do that by burning, by taking care of ourselves on that altar of sacrifice, by washing and, and baptism and, and, and we get into the word and let the, the spirit of God dwell within us. And then next week we'll talk about, Pastor will talk about the, the altar of uh, incense and how it has to do with our praise and our worship and our prayer and all that. It all has to do with a plan for us to get back to God, to a place where we have intimacy with God. Thank you so much for being a good, very good audience. I know it's a little bit late. pastor will be fired up this Sunday. Uh, invite everyone to be here Sunday. It's going to be a powerful, powerful service. I'm sure uh, he is going to be fired up. And uh, just be the church. Let the Holy Ghost work in you. Be the light of the world.